I've always wanted to be an architect. I always wanted to be an architect. Oh my God. I have always wanted to be an architect. I've always wanted to be an architect. I've always wanted to be an architect. I've always wanted to be an architect. Well, welcome, Ali Palmer. Thank you uh, very much for joining us in our podcast, Always Wanted to Be an Architect. And as you know, you and I discussed previously that uh, this season's podcast is about the process that it takes to get through a project. And you're our third episode. And in the third episode, we are talking about site planning and approvals and that process. And, and the first episode was about the original idea and how we get to that idea. Second episode was about real estate and finding the property in order to see our vision come to light, you know, see the vision of the client come to light. And this is now about, okay, now that we've started and we've got the property, what does it take to make that happen? And we thought because of your involvement with Kimley Horn and your background, that this would be a really potentially great conversation and really give the audience an idea of, of how this uh, manifests itself into a project at this stage in the game. So why don't you start off by telling us who you are and, and who you work for and, uh, and your role? Sure thing. Thanks, Baron. So as you mentioned, I work for Kimley Horn. We are a multidisciplinary consulting firm. I am a community planner and I actually sit in the Tallahassee office in Florida. But um, as you know, I work throughout Florida doing uh, community planning work, generally at the local government level. So I work a lot with, with local governments and with uh, folks like yourself, other consultants and uh, developers and whatnot. I've been uh, with Kimley Horn for four years or coming up on four years, but I've been working in this field since 2003. So coming up on 20 years, which I <laughs> don't I like to always say, but... <laughs> I got 30 years, so it, it goes fast. Yep. And I just, I'm glad that I'm, I'm glad to hear that I'm third in this uh, theme because as you probably know, not everybody thinks of bringing in a planner early on. So we really like to hear that from our partners. <laughs> Well, and explain that more. Why is it so important that, that you guys get brought on in, you know, as soon as possible? Well, there are a lot of steps in the process that unfortunately get left out. And so when somebody acquires property, there's a lot of things to look at to make sure that they can actually develop it as in the use that they'd like to develop it in. Every jurisdiction is different, and I'll probably touch on that a few times today, but you never know what what that property is actually what we called entitled for. And not only that, you don't always know what's on the property itself. So bringing a planner in early, we can start identifying those pitfalls immediately. I mean, quite frankly, we even recommend getting us involved before purchasing the property because if we do identify a pitfall before you purchase the property, then obviously it's it might be better to walk away at that point um, based on something we may or may not find. Uh, as you know, a detriment to moving forward with that particular project. And how many hats does Kim Lee Horn wear? <laughs> Quite a few. So as I mentioned, we have uh, we're multidisciplinary. So we have everything from as far as as developing land is concerned. We we do pretty much everything 
up until, well, after survey up to architecture, let's put it that way. So um, starting with planning, we also, and we have multiple different types of planners, by the way, we do transportation planning, we do aviation planning, depending on what type of, you know, if you're looking at developing anything to do with an airport or near an airport, we have mobility planning, we do bike and pedestrian trail planning, we do parked planning and Anyway, as you could imagine, it's, it's multifaceted on the planning side, but then we also have a equal amount or probably more number of engineers. So we have uh, civil and site engineering, we have stormwater engineering, structural engineering, transportation engineering, <laughs> roadway engineering, pretty much anything, again, that you could imagine on the engineering side. And then we also have our smaller practices, such as environmental. So we have a, a bunch of biologists on our team. We also have started some newer practices. Uh, we have some MEP folks down actually in our Tampa office and throughout the firm. We also have a, a, an emerging energy practice. So we do a lot of energy work for some of the big uh, power utilities throughout Florida and, and throughout the country. So you forgot one landscape. Wait, thank you. Oh my gosh. They would. Not be happy with me, my partners and right. architects. I just I consider them so much like planning. I forget to mention them by themselves, but yes, we definitely have landscape architecture. <laughs> so when a, a person or an entity or an organization finds a piece of property, explain why and maybe how one then has to go through this process of what we call site plan approval, which is sort of the culmination of all of those different pieces that you have just discussed, how those all come together and why all those need to come together to ultimately get what the approval is required. Like, why do we even need that? Well, as I mentioned before, it all it all starts essentially at that due diligence level, trying to pull, pull all the information on a particular property. So the first thing that we usually do is look at the every jurisdiction, well, for the most part, at least in Florida, has a future land use designation and or zoning district. And so the first thing we do is we gather that information to understand what that property was meant or at least vision to be as far as the city or the county is concerned. Once we look and understand if that property is permitted to be the use in which the owner or developer is, is trying to, to create or develop, then we can advise the client uh, as to whether they're going to have to, what we call, do any heavy lifting um, on the planning side. So if the, for example, if, if the client is looking to build a commercial property and the, the land use is commercial and the zoning is commercial, then typically it's that's what we call more of a traditional site plan approval process. However, if we do find out that that property has a residential land use or a residential zoning district, that requires a little bit heavier of a lift. We'd have to go in and understand what the process would look like to change the land use or change the zoning on that property to allow for commercial use. And if the city would even support that, because because very often, if it's inconsistent with, with their comprehensive plan, which is essentially their general plan for that city or the county, they may not support a change that requires those types of map changes. And so then we would uh, you know, probably advise our client to look at another property for that type of use. I guess what's the ratio of properties that you work on that go through a traditional sort of site plan approval and, and get approved 
versus the properties that need rezoning or replatting even or completely, you know, go through that process? So I would say it's about 50-50, believe it or not. Even if there's not a map change required, there typically at least half the time is some additional process required. So after we go through that effort of looking at the maps, then we start looking at the use itself. And so even if that use is considered allowable within the district, there might be other processes that we have to go through with that jurisdiction. So some of these processes include conditional use permits or special exception approval. Sometimes they require a variance because, you know, the, the, the existing uh, shape of the property or something that might be altering the reason for the development to be able to move forward. And so we have to look at, at those types of uh, possible barriers as well. When we have those types of applications, you know, or processes that we have to go through for that particular project, that requires, you know, typically additional time. All of these types of things also require public hearings. And so that's another layer um, in which we have to, to, you know, go through the process to get approvals for the use. And they also require, as you had mentioned before, a lot of other folks to be involved. So each of these types of applications requires a numerous uh, list of items to be submitted to demonstrate that the use or whatever the project is that you're proposing is consistent with the city or the county's vision for that area of town. So, you know, these are things like we always have to include a survey, we always have to include plant materials, you know, existing plant materials or an existing tree survey typically, also an environmental report. So we have to look at bunnies, is there, are there any wetlands, are there any endangered species on the property? Another thing that is typically required is what we call level of service. And so we have to look at all the different types of services that use or that uh, new land use or the new zoning will require on the property. That includes water, sewer, emergency services. And for residential, we have to look at parks and school services. So it's, it's endless, really. <laughs> it, it's it is amazing. Do you find that you and or Kimley Horn ends up being the quarterback for all of that? Or do you need other people to get involved to help coordinate all of those, as I, as I like to say, pieces of the puzzle? Because that's really what this is. It's just one big puzzle. Right. So I'll speak first as a planner, you know, because that's, I've been planning more of my life than with Kenley Horn. And so I will say from a planning perspective, it is I typically do play the point person or what we say quarterback in, in, in what you just mentioned, because um, typically I am the point of contact with both the client and the jurisdiction. And so it's just a natural progression for a planner to kind of keep all these plates spinning, at least up until site plan approval is is gained. And then, you know, I'll second that with saying that because, as I had mentioned, Kimberly Horn is multidisciplinary, it's fairly more efficient for us to quarterback the process with our clients because most of the time, we most of the consultants and the efforts that need to be conducted for project approval are in-house. And so that's another reason why it's, it's even better for me now being here because I can <laughs> conduct my <laughs> puppetry behind the walls. <laughs> and, and how much of this process... As for, for site plan approval, let's say, involves design 
versus, I don't want to say planning because planning sometimes does include design as well, but all of the other stuff that goes along with behind the scenes, right? Like neighborhood meetings and, and all that stuff. How, how much does design get in, involved up front in your process or in your world? I would say it depends on the jurisdiction. Generally speaking, if you want to look at every jurisdiction I've worked in, which is, again, mostly Florida, I would say that typically design gets to about a 30%, what we call is a 30% design on the civil and site plan side of things. So that's a site plan that, you know, we know where the building's going to be. We know where the access points are going to be. We know where the parking's going to be. We know where the landscape's going to be. We know how big the building's going to be things of that nature. But nothing is, I would say, fully engineered to the point where we know exactly how the stormwater is going to flow or calculations are going to be made. Or if there needs to be any necessary offsite improvements, we're not sure about those things at that point. That would be general for for most of Florida. Um, And then we just have these more complex, excuse me, complex jurisdictions that require more. And most of the time, that is because they're in areas that are more populated, right? They're denser urban areas that there's more concerns because they they know that development is coming and they want to be able to monitor it and make sure that it comes in in a way that won't negatively impact their city or their county. And so they want to have more information up front. And in those jurisdictions, we typically have to provide, you know, nearly 50%, I would say, from a design standpoint, and being able to really convey what we're doing and how it is going to affect the subject property as well as anything surrounding it, especially, and I didn't mention this early, from the transportation side, that is typically um, you know, one of the most important things that the jurisdiction wants to understand is how is this going to impact our roadways? Because especially in South Florida, as you know, traffic is a very hot topic. <laughs> yeah. Let's say a typical, and I know there's no such thing as a typical project, but typical project meaning, you know, a commercial building in in a um, jurisdiction that accepts commercial projects. We're not trying to put a a commercial building in a in the middle of a residential neighborhood, right? I'm not talking about that kind of project. But for a typical project that you have to go through still all of these steps, how long does that typically take from the time that they retain Kimley Horn and the team, including architects, including whomever else, to getting the site plan approval? Is there a typical time period that it takes? Yeah, we usually start with with that typical time frame, right? And then we'll build onto it depending on the nuances of the site. So from the time a client signs us up to complete, you know, to prepare a site plan package, we typically like anywhere between um, 30 to 60 days, you know, depending on what has been done to date. So 60 days is typically the preference. So we can make sure we've crossed all our T's and dotted all of our I's. Um, we're also usually waiting on something like a survey or or, or a building footprint <laughs> that might hold us up a little bit. So, so there's about two months there before we even submit. We also have to go through the process of preparing all the documents at this time and getting everything signed by the you know the the people that are have ownership over the property or control over the property. So that can also take some time. So 60 days is is nice to have in that time frame. Once we submit. Well, and just a, again, a traditional site plan review application in a 
in a general jurisdiction, <laughs> we typically have to wait another 30 days to get comments back from that jurisdiction. I've seen it go shorter, but for the most part, it's, I would say, a max of 30 days to hear back from, it's typically a development review committee or a DRC is what we call it. And so at that point, we'll get comments from all the different reviewing agencies at the city. Sometimes this can also include county agencies and sometimes even states. Sometimes they'll send it to FDOT, the Florida Department of Transportation, um, or the Water Management District to get comments at that point too, preliminary, but nonetheless. And so after that 30 days, uh, so now we're at 90 days. So at 90 days, we get comments back on all of our documents and plans for the site plan application. And at that point, it's really in our court, as well as our consultants and our and our clients' court to address the comments. And, um, you know, depending on the level of comments, that can take as short as two weeks, but can also take as long as two months. Again, just depending on what the level of the comments are and what we have to go chasing. You know, hopefully not a, a P&L easement release, for instance, which... <laughs> nice taken some time on certain projects. Anyhow, um, and so after that, let's say another 30 days we take to, re- to respond to comments. So now we're at, what, 120 days uh, or, what, one, two, three, four months. So we resubmit and then the, ca- the city or the county has the opportunity to review all of our responses again. And at that point, we hope that they're going to accept all of our revisions and responses as being... Uh, complete, what they call complete and sufficient. And once we are deemed complete and sufficient by staff and all the reviewing agencies, then we can move forward to whatever their final approval process is, whether it is just a staff administrative approval letter or whether it might go on to a public hearing. And that just differs depending on where you are. Yeah, so to to, to sum that up to anybody listening, <laughs> going into any project, inclusive of the team that it takes to do that, to get through a fairly simple site plan approval, you should anticipate at least six months, I would say, right? That's a, that's a six month process from, from, from the time that you begin. And then obviously the more complex or the more difficult the project, the, the site is or the project requires, it's gonna be beyond that. And we've been involved with projects that have taken years for that matter. Yeah. But I think for anyone listening that's considering a, a, a going through this process, you have to assume right off the bat that there's a six-month process to get through site plan approval for any development. Right. And again, that typically doesn't even include permits. So, right. you know, you have any... No, that, that, that's before you submit for a building permit. Yeah. Or a site work permit sometimes as well. Or site, right. So do you like having architects on board? I do. I've always had great relationships with the architects that I work with, you know, throughout throughout the last few years of my <laughs> practice. I won't say it again. You know, it's architects, I feel, think very similarly to planners. So we're sort of looking at the big picture, although that you, you know, at the end of the day, your plan set is is the structure. You that's not how you all typically function. You typically look at the site and you look at the, the bigger picture of how the site's going to be to come together. And so I often work very closely with architects to kind of have that preemptive visioning, you know, with them to understand what really the client's needs are. Very often, you know, and how we work together, 
also, Baron, is that the, the architect will bring us the project, you know? So that's another reason why we work very closely with architects is because they will start out with the client and then they will very often recommend us, either us being a planner or an engineer, to be part of the team. And so because of that relationship, you know, between the architect and the client, we we work together, you know, essentially from some from soup to nuts until the project is finished. Yeah. And and we agree and enjoy working during this process, actually. And obviously we work we like working with you guys, but but I think the process of of going through the site plan approval can be fun and can be enjoyable if if you know you have the right team, um, as I have said before. And I think that's important. Okay, so to sort of wrap this up, I think, give us a a, a scenario. Well, a couple of things. One, give us a scenario that you've come across that has just been like Oh my God, I can't believe I went through this project. <laughs> and then and then end with the opposite, which is a great experience that you've had, not only working with your team, but also architects and for an owner of a of a really successful project and how that looks. Okay. Um, well, there's a certain jurisdiction that we used to joke, you know, you walked into their office and... Don't say the jurisdiction. I will not. Um, <laughs> I'm smarter than that. Not to mention I have friends that work there. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why this was a joke. But we used to walk in their office and they'd have a, their big binder on their desk of, you know, land development regulations. And we used to take with a big Sharpie on the side and write the book of no. <laughs> <laughs> because every time you went in to do anything, it was no. I, I would say, unfortunately, you know, there was more times than than less that where we would come in with a client and sit down with the planning director and the engineering director and and sometimes even the city manager and just constantly be told that no, we don't, we we are not going to approve that, we're not going to support that okay, well, show us where it is in the code that why is it inconsistent with your code? Why is it inconsistent with the conflict? Well, it doesn't matter. You're not going to get support for that here. You're not going to get support for that use here. That's not that's not how we do business here. We don't want that here. Do you find that they that 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 what they're saying is based on either their own agenda or because they are representing a constituency? Or like why would anyone say that? They have, at the time, they had a city council, a town council, not to let any cats out of the bag there, but um, they had a, a strong mayor who had a vision of the way that they wanted their town to be developed. Um, and that mayor had a strong backing from constituents. And they had a vision as to the, the way they think that their town should look and feel and what types of uses should be within it. And so through the years, many, many years, they turned a lot of big business away. I mean, to this day, there is no Target in that town. There is no Costco in that town. There is no, you know, they were very purposeful of that. And and sometimes to their success, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of merit for, for keeping things a certain way in, in that place. But other times, I think it was to some of their demise, you know, as from an, especially from an economic development standpoint. And so, you know, it was, 
I think it was a mix, but I think it was definitely um, coming down from the top in that particular case and being fed down to their staff as to what would be acceptable and supported. Um, there was also a lot of personal opinions, I would say, amongst their staff, which gets messy. You know, it's it's as planners, we have a code of ethics and we try to be very clear as to what we can opine on from, okay, this is the law, this is the code, this is, this is policy. And I don't think that always took place in that particular location. You know, one of the reasons why I thought this episode was important and was interesting was because I, I want anyone listening that is considering being a developer and and that falls into many types of people. In other words, you don't have to be a, let's say, a true developer, like that's your career. But if you are a nonprofit organization and you own a piece of property and you are uh, trying to expand, you become a developer. And I think it's important that anyone that is considering developing a piece of property understands and hears that this is a big part of what we go through and that it is very possible that it doesn't go smoothly and that you do come across personalities that just simply don't want you to be in their neighborhood or be in their community or or expand or develop. And I think that's a that's a huge part of, of our job to figure out how to get past that because I, I, I don't know if the end of that story is you got what you wanted, but I do know that there are stories that I'm sure you have and we have been involved with that ultimately we do get past those that resistance and, and that those deterrents and we figure it out and that's part of what we do. Yeah, so I guess to answer the second part of your question, in a neighboring jurisdiction, one of the projects that I enjoyed working on the most through my years, and again, this is all in South Florida, but... We had a very, very difficult infill site uh, in an urban area that was historically uh, industrial, light industrial. And as you know, there is a significant housing shortage in South Florida, um, especially in Palm Beach County and, and the Southern counties. And um, I had a client who develops mid to low income housing product, multifamily housing. And he had procured a site in this industrial area. And um, although the industrial area was adjacent to residential, it was zoned industrial. And we ended up taking that parcel to the city in which it resided in and uh, proposed the project and showed, showed staff and showed the council how we really felt that this property could be you know, utilized more efficiently and for better use and to provide more housing in the city. Um, we also, you know, came up with some really creative ways to adjoin it from a pedestrian and bicycle, you know, mobility connection perspective to the other residential areas that were adjacent to this district. And it ended up being a fantastic project. It got through all of the approvals and it's built today. And I love driving past it because even though there was, gosh, a laundry list of challenges, and by the way, multiple community meetings with the adjacent residences and and the owners of the industrial park, I might add. Everybody loves it today because it's a quality project. We even provided an art park at one of the open spaces on, on one side of it. And and again, it was just, it was a developer that had an open mind, um, knew that they would have to address certain things in that community. 
and a city staff and city council that had an open mind and knew that if they could compromise on certain things, that they'd get a great end product and additional housing for their city. Well, that's a great ending to this. <laughs> Thank you. That's Thought perfect. I'd leave on a high note. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. No, that that was that was a great story. So. All right. Well, thank you very much, Allie. I, uh, I, I enjoyed this. I hope you did too. And um, appreciate you getting on. And uh, I hope, uh, I, well, I look forward to continuing to work with you. And I hope you enjoyed this. Absolutely. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Allie, for all that insight. And for anyone considering a project, we hope we provided some valuable information. In our next episode, we discuss the incredibly fun phase of schematic design and how we put those ideas on paper in rendering and sketch form.